and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. There's a, a lot, lot of, of people, people in here. Our, this room right now. <laughs> it's weird because uh, usually we make intense eye contact while we're doing our podcast, which is why it's so successful. But it is strange to be uh, making intense eye contact with you and also having a bunch of people in my periphery. We're outnumbered yes, today. We are outnumbered. For the first time, we have three guests here today. At the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Um, so it's... Um, you're listening to this right after American Thanksgiving, and it's for a good reason it's that we we and you will, which you will soon discover uh, why. But uh, yeah, tell us about. So yeah, um, so New Yorkers for Better Libraries is having a special event on Friday, December thirteenth, twenty nineteen, here in um, in the Rochester area. So. With a little preview mm-hmm. for their topic, uh, that that event topic is Christmas with the Donner Party mm-hmm. um, at the back bar at the Blue Barn Cidery in uh, Hilton, New York. So we have um, three librarians. You are outnumbered by librarians. Also. Oh my god! This is the most librarians anybody has ever heard on a podcast for sure. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. So we're joined by Cassie Guthrie, Beth Merkel, and Laura Osterhout. Welcome, welcome, ladies. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh, so. Um, Tell us a little bit about what your topic is today. Cannibalism. Uh. <laughs> now, we are, we are not actually going to talk about the Donner Party. We're considering this to be a, a promo <laughs> to <laughs> Christmas with the Donner Party. Of course. It's because little... we have an actual historian. Her name is Maya Rook, who will be uh, giving the talk on Christmas with the Donner Party. Awesome. I'm so excited so this for is that. a little amuse-bouche, if you will. <laughs> Making a lot of food jokes, I imagine. There will be a lot of food jokes. Um, I'm very excited about this. Cannibalism is a topic close to my heart. Um, so I understand. <laughs> I know I'm I'm in good company. So uh, please, whenever you're ready. Well, uh, sure. So I have been fascinated with this topic for a very long time. I just recently read a book, A Cultural History of Cannibalism, by a gentleman named Bill Schur. Mm who uh, teaches biology at Long Island University. So I read his book, and it, it, it's very interesting. And the thing that fascinates me the most is how we are so obsessed with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. TV, books, movies, it's an extremely popular topic. And the best uh, description that I found of why it is so popular was by a criminologist at the University of East London who said... Viewing anything that involves violence or death will kickstart a lot of psychological processes, such as stress and excitement. Your brain's neocortex becomes psychologically aroused, but not in a dangerous way, since you're in the safe environment of your own home. Mm. Okay. So this is like true crime, but like also ramped up a little. Yeah. yeah. And also, people. this is probably why people like horror movies, too, is yes. that it's, there's a sense of danger that gets your, your juices flowing. Yes. Sorry. Shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, that was probably not uh, yeah. the right way to put it. Mm. Okay. It's also very taboo yeah however the mm-hmm. whole idea of people eating other people yeah which yeah. i think enters into it as well interesting for sure Ooh, i love that so i was also going to talk a little bit if it's okay Please. about um cannibalism in literature mm. okay so likely the first mention of cannibalism in literature in the western canon was homer's epic poem the odyssey which was 
approximately 8th century BCE. So while on an island stopover, Odysseus and his pals enter the cave of a giant who is also a cyclops. Oh, yeah. In human form. Go figure. (laughs) Who is out tending his flock, whatever that might be. So these guys make themselves at home in the cave of the giant. The party, however, ends abruptly when the giant returns home and blocks their exit with a really big stone. So Odysseus tries to bluff his way out of the situation, but the giant is really not impressed. So according to the author, the giant lurched up, lunged out with his hands towards my men, and snatching two at once, wrapping them on the ground, he knocked them dead like pups. Their brains gushed out all over, soaked the floor, and ripping them limb from limb to fix his meal, he bolted them down like a mountain lion, left no scrap. Devoured entrails, flesh and bones, marrow and all. Homer was just he was all loved it. <laughs> oh man, the brains are going to gush. I'm so excited. <laughs> and then uh, apparently, and I, I did not verify this, and I am a librarian, so I apologize if this isn't correct. But then the giant washed it all down with some milk. Oh yeah, okay, like a birthday cake. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> just like, he was yeah, full, exactly. and he and he just you know. We gotta get all the food groups. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. You need a little in. dairy in there along mm-hmm. with the protein. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thus begun about 2,500 years of stories depicting cannibalism as either the ultimate act of revenge or the gruesome work of gods, monsters, and savages. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tracks. Yeah, sure, tracks. Yeah. So, by the 17th century, with this taboo firmly established, the threat of cannibalism would reach a new audience. And I think a lot of us are parents around the table here. And that new audience uh, was children. It was used as a way to terrorize children. Oh, yeah. Right? So you can think of some of those fairy tales, right? the most effective parenting technique from my experience. (laughs) Yes, the threat threat that (laughs) that you're going to get yourself eaten. You know, so the fairy tales of the Grimm brothers and then this other guy, Charles Perrault, who, you know, we're talking like 18th century Mm. Hansel and Gretel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, moral of that story. Don't, don't talk to strangers or someone's going to try to eat you. Oh, I thought it was don't eat too many sweets. Don't eat someone's house. That's the Disneyfied version, Lauren. That is Lauren. the Disneyfied oh, version. Sorry. I'm sorry, no, everyone. It really is. Wow. I feel really ganged up on by a bunch of librarians. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> and then, of course, there's Jack and the Beanstalk. Oh, Fee, yeah. fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Yeah, because didn't he want to grind him up to make his bread? Yep. He did. He wanted to grind up his bones to make his bread. That never made sense to me. No. Well, what's the difference? So <laughs> now everybody's into this bone broth stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just not human bone. Right. <laughs> not no, yet. Not yet. <laughs> Double <laughs> check your labeling, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not yet is actually true because there is such a thing as environmental cannibalism. What is that? Soylent green? Oh, oh, yes, of course. Yes, Charlton Heston. So the story of Soylent Green is, uh, so it's a time, 2022. The film was made in 1973. That's very, that's <laughs> very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, it is very soon. So yeah, the is. world has become overpopulated, polluted. Climate change has just ravaged the entire world. And uh, so people are down to eating these uh, Soylent Green and Soylent Yellow food packets Mm -hmm. and everyone's all excited about Soylent Green because it's made from algae but then Charlton Heston finds out the oceans are dying yes yes and that it's really people Soylent Green is people it's It's people people. it's people yeah you see the arm the freeze frame of his arm up 
as they're dragging him away. Yes. Great yeah. movie. Yeah. Great movie. Just rewatched it yesterday. Doesn't get old. No. <laughs> it's a classic. It is a classic. You want to keep talking? Yeah. All right. So if I could just get back to the fairy tales for a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So this is, this is fascinating. So Snow White, and you, you mentioned the Disneyfied mm-hmm. version. So the original tale of Snow White, the Wicked Queen not only wanted Snow White killed, but she wanted the huntsman who was sent to kill her to return with her liver and her lungs. So the huntsman tricks the queen because he decides he doesn't want to kill Snow White, spares her, and instead brings the queen a boar's organ meat. Okay. Okay. So the queen, not wise to the game here, cooks up what she thinks is Snow White in a stew, which she eats. To, like, absorb her Her beauty. beauty. They didn't say that specifically, (laughs) um, but that, that seems... That seems yeah. reasonable to me. Yeah. And so, of course, the Disney version, I don't think... They left that out. I think they left yeah. it out. That went to the cutting room they floor, They just give apparently. her the poison apple, and they just yeah. want her to yeah. go they away. They just want her to die, yeah. yeah. Well, the, um, there was this uh, copy of a uh, picture book of Snow White in my grandmother's house. My grandmother was also a librarian, and this was one of the ones that was not Disneyfied. And I found it... I had read it so many times when I was younger, but my cousin was visiting, and he had... Um, his kids were pretty young, and his daughter was like, you know, needed something to entertain her. So I was like, I'll read her this Snow White book. And at the end of this one, the queen's punishment was that they stuck these metal shoes in a fire. And then her punishment is that she, they put them on her feet, and she had to, she danced until she died. Oh, my God. And I didn't, rem- <laughs> I didn't remember this part until I get to, like, the second to last page. And then I was like, oh, no. And I was like, and then. You had to make some stuff up. <laughs> yeah. And then she went to time out. <laughs> and learned her lesson. But yeah, it was scary stuff. Well, the Grimm brothers, what they did is they published, as they published their fairy tales, they would sort of gauge public reaction to them and would sanitize them more. Oh, and that's okay. how they sort of morphed into what we know today, which are mm-hmm. these, you know, happy ending, mm-hmm. for the most part, stories. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, moving on a little bit to movies, although most of these things are also books. In 2003, the American Film Institute, for their 100th anniversary, pulled a jury of 1,500 actors, writers, directors, and historians to determine the 50 greatest screen villains of all time. Mm-hmm. And you guys all know who that is. It's got to be. It's got to be Hannibal Lecter. It's got to be Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal, Hannibal the Cannibal, the cannibal mm. Lecter. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the famous line, which is a little different from the one that was in the book that the screenplay was based on, uh, which was written by Thomas Harris, was uh, that uh, a census taker who bored him, the line was, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Second place went to Norman Bates. And you're probably thinking, okay, Norman's not a cannibal, but bear with me for just a moment here. (laughs) yeah. So Hitchcock's uh, most popular movie, Psycho, was adapted from a Robert Block pulp novel that was published in 1959, which was loosely based on Wisconsin native Edward Gein. Oh, Ed Gein. Oh, my God. Ed Gein. Yeah, Yeah. Eddie. You know Mm -hmm. Eddie. Who was a real-life murderer, grave robber, necrophile, and cannibal. Mm -hmm. So the screenplay obviously left out the mutilation and the cannibalism, fortunately or unfortunately, and concentrated instead on the mother fixation aspects Mm -hmm. of Mr. Gein's story. So uh, 
Gein was not um, a hotel owner. He lived on a farm in Wisconsin, and his brother passed away, and then his mother passed away. And then he just started, you know, going around town and luring people back to the homestead, killing them and stringing them up uh, in the back shack. Mm-hmm. And one of the funniest, well, I don't know if it's funny. <laughs> oh, it's one funny. Of the, one of the, one of the more amusing aspects, <laughs> one of the more amusing aspects of it was that several people in town said that uh, Eddie Gein had given them venison. And he said to the police, uh, no, I've never shot a deer in my life. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So you can just, you know, draw your own conclusion from that. Mm. <laughs> I think the moral of that story is... Do not accept food from anyone. Yeah. <laughs> never yeah. go back to somebody's farm to hang out. That's no. what I got. <laughs> or hang up. Or yeah. hang out. <laughs> or hang up. <laughs> and then, of course, there uh, is The Road by Cormac McCarthy, oh, 2006, oh. which was awarded the 2007 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Yeah. Um, I read this book. It so disturbed me. Mm-hmm. It's depiction of post-apocalyptic cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the characters are never named. They're simply called the man and the boy, mm-hmm. which seems right. And they're heading south to avoid the winter somewhere in the United States. They spend most of the book evading marauders and cannibals. They search a house. They find a locked cellar containing captives whom cannibal gangs have been eating limb by limb. So they're still oh. alive. So you just cut the, you know, you cut the arm yeah, off. Yeah, keep them. You stop the bleeding, and uh, you <laughs> eat the arm, face. and then you go on to the other arm. Yeah, Julia's going to be making a lot of faces. <laughs> and really uh, so much. and I think that the the scene in the in the book that was so disturbing to me that I was not able to watch the movie, no. even though I love Viggo Mortensen beyond oh, yeah. all handsome. Any great? He's a poet. He's just amazing. Yeah, he's I lovely. couldn't watch the movie. Couldn't do it. Couldn't no. do it was uh, when the man and the boy evade another group whose member inclu- members include a pregnant woman, and soon after evading them, they discover an abandoned campsite with a newborn infant roasted on a spit. Oh, yeah. nope. Absolutely not. No thank you. Nope. Hope you guys are enjoying your Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got some good deals today? <laughs> I'm kind of feeling like everyone around the table is like, oh, God, Cassie, please stop talking. (laughs) But isn't this what I'm here for? No, absolutely. I just hate that book. (laughs) Okay, I got two more quick ones, if it's okay. They're a little, little, well, do you want the the more lighthearted one or the less lighthearted one first? You can do, let's go. Let's let's go go dark to light. Dark to light. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am a huge Walking Dead fan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was reading the graphic novels before there was any talk of of the television show. Mm -hmm. I think it's the second best television show of all time. What's What's your first? first? Six Feet Under. Mm. Okay. That's great. I mean, that still affects me Mm -hmm. even even today. So uh, the season five premiere of The Walking Dead, which was titled No Sanctuary, and for those of you who are fans will remember uh, Terminus and Sanctuary, it was supposed to be the place where all the survivors of the zombie apocalypse were going to go and sit around and sing Kumbaya together. Sure. Mm -hmm. Nice. So at the end of season four, they set things up in such a way that the season five premiere was at that time the uh, most watched cable television show of all time with 17.2 million people tuning in. Basically to watch Rick and the gang struggle to find a way to escape Terminus whose inhabitants have resorted to cannibalism to survive the zombie apocalypse. So they lean them over. There's eight of them. Four of them are our heroes, Rick, Glenn, Daryl, and the guy whose name I can't remember, and then four from another group that had come into Terminus. So they hit him on the head with what looks like a cricket bat. 
not sure, slit their throats over a trough they go. So Rick and pals are the last four, one, two, three, four, and then they're saved. Uh, if there's any sort of apocalyptic situation, I'm going out um, right. early. Yeah. I'm going to lay in the street. I'm going to say, come take me, zombies. <laughs> well, Eat my brains, please. Do you remember who, who killed herself in the road? The mother. The mother. I can't believe that. Either. Oh, the well. mother. They had one bullet in. They had two bullets in a gun, and the mo- and the mother said, mm, "I can't do this anymore." And she killed herself. And then it was just the fa- the father with his son, oh. and he had the one bullet remaining for if they needed it. That's very. That's selfish. Right. Just let your. Just be like, hold on, run out. <laughs> no one look. <laughs> Don't look, honey. Keep your eyes closed. Nom, 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 nom. That's yeah. what you do. That's what you got to do. You know? That's like, what motherhood a, is. That's what motherhood is. Sacrifice. <laughs> I don't have any children, but I, I would do that in a second. If you had nom, children, nom, you nom, might nom, feel nom. differently, but... <laughs> forgive me, nom, 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 nom. son. Forgive me. <laughs> All right. And my last slightly more uh, lighthearted television um, reference to cannibalism I rewatched yesterday... To Serve Man, which was a 1962 episode of The Twilight Zone, where these um, seemingly altruistic and benign nine-foot-tall aliens called the Canimates mm-hmm. come down to Earth, and they're, it's, it's hysterical because uh, there, it's like this like oval of light on the screen. Mm-hmm. You hear them, yeah. it just yeah. like goes back and forth, <laughs> and then it lands somewhere. They don't show that. That was probably too expensive. So uh, they're trying to decipher this book that one of the Canimates has left behind because they've started sort of this exchange program. So in addition to the Canimates coming down to Earth, they're shipping people up to spend time mm-hmm. on the Canimates' home planet. And uh, Mr. Chambers is one of the main translators who manages to translate only the cover of the book, which really didn't make sense to me. Uh, but the cover of the book that the Canimate had left uh, at the UN was To Serve Man. So he thought, okay, these people really are altruistic. They're wonderful. But then his sidekick, just as Mr. Chambers is getting on the spaceship to go up to the Canimate's home home planet, comes running up and yells, Mr. Chambers, don't get on that ship to serve man. It's a cookbook. Ah! Bum, bum, bum. And then the candidate runs up behind Mr. Chambers, tosses him into the spaceship, closes it up, and yep. he's and gone. He he's gone. Mm. Yep. And they go, nom, 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 nom. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, my favorite movie with cannibalism in it, and it's more lighthearted than that, it's um, the part in Fried Green Tomatoes. I guess it's a book, too. But when they, so they kill the um, woman's husband, the abusive husband, and, you know, the police are coming to look for him, and they all had, they had killed him and cooked him, and they were serving the barbecue. And so, like, the detective was like, can I get some more of your barbecue? And so he was eating, so they could never find the body because they had the policeman eat the... The guy. Do you remember? Southern that? women are it. vicious. <laughs> they are. Yeah. I, I didn't see that Brilliant. movie. And I thought that movie was like a lovely Southern <laughs> well, romantic comedy. Like yeah. a Steel Magnolias yeah, type like situation. Yeah. Just with a little bit more revenge. But yeah, All right. it was good. All right. Great. I'll put that on my very long list of movies to see because <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of movies. <laughs> wow, Cassie. Thank you. <laughs> I could have prepared more, but I thought that was enough. <laughs> no, that's... A great, again, great amuse-bouche. 
Now, I think Beth is going to talk about serial killers to us. Okay. So, um, I decided my um, part of the cannibalism talk would be, since I like my murders, is uh, serial killers who are also cannibals. Great. Now, um, (laughs) the last time I was on this podcast, I was fortunate to have found a children's book, one and a half children's books I read about the Great Chicago Fire. Mm -hmm. There is not a children's book available to me about cannibal serial killers, which was really disappointing. That's that's a shame. So I had to go into the scary parts of the interwebs, and um, who knows what that's going to do to the algorithm on my Facebook feed. I am (laughs) not sure, but um, I've seen it all now. So, and I thought, hey, there's probably only a handful of these guys. This will be short. This will be really easy to do. And it turns out that there's quite a few (laughs) cannibal serial killers. Um, so here's a fun fact (laughs) of the estimated 2000 active serial killers in the United States right now, only between five and 10 are cannibals. So if that helps you sleep. Statistically, can I ask a question? Yeah. How many of them are white men? Well, most serial killers are white men. I know. uh, But the cannibals. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But my list of, um, it was quite diverse and I'll, I'll get to that a little bit. Oh, well. Um, so yeah, so, uh, serial killers who are also cannibals are operating all over the world. So this is not an America first proposition. This is, you know, we're, we're not number one. Um, so we've got Poland, China, Russia, United States, Turkey, India, Venezuela, Ireland, Italy, Germany. Germany actually has a lot. I don't know what's going on there. Bad blood in Germany. (laughs) Ukraine, Japan, France. We've got them all. We also have what I call a little local flavor Ooh, from great. New York. <laughs> flavor. Local flavor. You mean dinosaur barbecue? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Um, so a murderer named Haddon Clark was a native of Troy, New York. He killed and cannibalized at least two victims. Um, one was in California, the other was in Maryland. And um, Arthur Shawcross, mm-hmm. who is, he was born in Watertown, New York. Um, he's no, he's known as the Genesee river killer and he, um, went on a killing spree in Rochester in the eighties. And I didn't know that the cannibalism was associated with that, but what, what he claims is that he sort of got a taste for cannibalism when he was in the Vietnam war. And apparently he, he tried it there, but he also, he also like just talked a bunch of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. So we don't really know what to believe. Mm -hmm. Um, so it ranges from the old timies, where there was a guy, a mountain man in the 1800s named Liver Eaton Johnson. Yes. <laughs> okay, talk about living up to your name. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's like two on the nose. I know. It's, you know what? Not a lot of subtlety there. And I give them, whoever gave him that nickname, a lot of credit. Yeah. He ate livers. He did. His name is Johnson. Yeah. Well, what he more would, do you want? Yeah. Well, apparently <laughs> he specifically went after the livers. So he's his wife um, was a Native American, and she was killed by um, some members of the Crow tribe. Okay. And apparently uh, he claimed that the liver was the Crow fell. The liver had some kind of it like held their power or something very special. So he would kill them and um, eat their liver. So liver eaten Johnson. <laughs> Was um, livers. <laughs> he was, yeah. And then all all the way up to the present day, um, there was a rapper named Big Lurch who got high on PCP 
and killed and tries to eat his roommate. Big Lurch. Big, big lurch. lurch. Not Big Lurch. Yeah. He's my favorite SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, murdering by cannibalism is also, has also changed with the technology. Oh. So, oh so in 1928, one of the big names in uh, true crime is Albert Fish. Mm-hmm. So he responded to an ad uh, in the New York world put out by um, a young man named Edward Budd. He said, a young man, 18, wishes position in country. Again, don't go to somebody's farm. Okay. We're learning. Um, so he went to his house to visit and changed his mind uh, when he met Grace, Edward's 10-year-old s- uh, sister. So... Um, he convinced her parents to let him take her to what he said was his niece's birthday party, um, but it, that wasn't true. So he ended up <laughs> killing her. And then in 1934, he wrote this really long letter to Grace's mother, like telling her like how he got into cannibalism and uh, what he did to Grace, and that it took him nine days to eat her. And then the modern take on that is in 2001 in Germany, um, a man named Armin Myways, my vase, I don't know, put out an ad online on this website. Uh, it's now taken down, but it was called the Cannibal Cafe. Oh, okay. And he was looking for a well-built 18 to 30-year-old to be slaughtered and then consumed. And apparently a lot of willing victims like responded, but most of them chickened out except for this one guy. And... Also, a tip of your hat to modern technology, they like videoed and posted yes, this all I heard online. About this. Oh my God. So um, there was a big thing. Um, so because he was victim was like willing, like they, I think they ended up charging with manslaughter, mm. not like murder. Yeah. But um, not, not good. It's not, not good. But apparently, and so, and the other thing he said is that like he was in this like online cannibal community, like people into it. Of like he knew at least like three hundred people in these groups uh. that were like into it. Yeah, and it seems like um, there aren't so many people eating other people now. I mean, it's not like we're like, oh no, the population is <laughs> declining because there's so many cannibals. Um, it seems as though like for a lot of people, it's like it's like a fantasy, like a yeah. fetish thing. Yes, and in 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 real life theoretically they would not if given the opportunity they would not actually try and kill and eat someone right but or be eaten or be eaten yeah because some people are into like the cons- the consumption part like mm-hmm. being consumed uh yeah so that's interesting that um well well message board <laughs> <laughs> never leave your house everybody. Yes. that's what i'm learning no um, and because I've been trying to stick it to the patriarchy this week, it's not just the men. Oh, well, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, feminism. My apologies, Beth. It, yeah. <laughs> so um, a woman named Leonarda Chianciuli. She's Italian. Oh, you got to say it like a this. Oh, you got to put, you got to pinch your, you got to talk like a this. Together. Together. And then you got to be able to is say it. Is this Ian is, is she the soap woman? Yes. yes. Okay. So she killed three women and turned their bodies into soap and also tea cakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And served them to her friends and she ate them herself. And it was because she, I don't. It's eat. like a little cookie. Yeah. Like a soft cookie. Yeah. Uh, usually made with a lot of butter and fat, oh, so, so that's usually fat. why. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so she f- uh, felt that these were human sacrifices that would keep her son safe during World War II. Mm-hmm. Oh, so she was did crazy. It work? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did it work? Uh, it, it, Wikipedia did not tell me if it worked. <laughs> that sounds Sicilian. Like that yeah. sounds like that sounds like old school, deep yes. in the middle Sicilian, yeah. where she's like, "I have to make this soap of the people, so my son will come back to me." <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, yeah, that's rural Sicily. That's Apologies to all my Italian listeners. <laughs> um, in 1991, an Egyptian model named Omiyama Nelson killed her husband. She'd been, they'd been married for about three weeks. She killed him um, and then dressed up in a red dress and put on red lipstick and then boiled his head and prepared his ribs with barbecue sauce. Oh, wow, three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. She was done with him. Yes. Yeah. So she claimed he was abusive, but... Yeah, who knows? Who knows? She apparently had, uh, before she left Egypt, had a lot of trauma back there, mm. too. So yeah. she was not well. Um, and then um, in 2015, so this is a Ooh. recent one, a uh, woman known as the Granny Ripper... Oh! <laughs> um, Tamara Samosanova... Um, she was arrested at age 68 uh, for killing at least 11 people, including like her 79-year-old friend. <gasps> oh, my God. Um, and she um, would eat parts of them. And she also kept a diary that she is like, wrote down all the people oh. that she killed. Primary a- source documentation yeah. <laughs> at its finest. <laughs> yeah. So let's just, you know, it's not just the ones that you've heard of. Oh, my gosh. Mm. But... Then I decided I'll just do like five big ones, and I picked the ones that had um, nicknames. Oh, great! great. And I had okay. to I had to limit it in some way. So, <laughs> um, Otis Tool is known as the Jacksonville Cannibal, mm-hmm. and I had heard a lot about Otis Tool, but I didn't know that he was also um, a cannibal. So he's most famous for confessing to abducting and killing Adam Walsh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. John Walsh's son, and the reason why we have America's Most Wanted. Um, so he actually had a a uh, BFF serial killer named Henry Lee Lucas, and they um, killed a bunch of people in Florida in the 60s, in the from the 60s to the 80s. Um, Tool claimed to have killed more than 100 people, but he was also very braggy, so we don't know if that's true. Um, he had a very low IQ. Um, he also claimed that his grandmother was a Satanist and taught him rituals and practices like grave robbing and self-mutilation. So, um, and family traditions. Yes. Yeah. Grandma. Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> um, so Henry Lee Lucas, he um, sort of considered him like a, himself like a cut above tool because he like he said that he wasn't a cannibal because he didn't like the taste of Tool's barbecue sauce oh, and was oh, just very so scornful picky. of his like oh Tool would just eat people and I'm so much than, better yeah, than that. So much better than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So Tool also claimed that sometimes he ate his victims to save money on groceries. You know, they don't put that on like the crazy coupon shows. No. That is not no. one of the suggestions no. there. You got to stop with the avocado toast and eat people. Extreme cheapskates. Extreme cheapskates. Yeah. Yes. Like the guy that picks up roadkill and kills it or like eats it, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it's fresh enough. But yeah. you, you, I mean... <laughs> I mean, you could also just eat a can of beans. I mean, that yeah, has exactly. a lot of protein. Beans are like 39 cents for yeah. a can. I mean, yeah. honestly, man. Oh. So, so, and then there's also um, 
Joachim Kroll, who is known as the Duisburg Maneater, another <gasps> German one. He killed at least 14 people um, between 1955 and 1976. He was unique because he cannibalized every single one of his victims. Most people were like, yeah, sometimes I feel like it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes you feel like a nut. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was also unique because, like, most people, like, they sort of build up to murder. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you dabble in, like, peeping toms and. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, he's his first murder was he killed somebody and wow. ate them. He also had a very low IQ. Um, the theory is that he was able to get away with his crimes for so long because the police were like, this has got to be a really sophisticated killer and oh, he's got to yeah. be really smart. Um, and this guy's just walking around alleys just bonking people on the head. Yeah, I think he ended up getting caught because like he clogged up the plumbing in his apartment complex, like trying to get rid of. Oh my god! He called him gut, and even said like, "Oh, "Oh, it's clogged up because there's guts in there." And his neighbor was like, "I don't know what he really means by guts. It can't be real guts, right? (laughs) It could possibly be real guts." (laughs) Um, He also claimed like tool that he ate his victims to save money. Seems like the garbage disposal would have been a better (laughs) better choice than the toilet. Just a thought. I don't know. I don't know. There are easier ways of saving money, right? <laughs> right. Honestly, do you, well, you know, uh, if you don't like carrying the groceries, right. yeah. you know your groceries walk home with you. I guess. <laughs> Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> um. So um, then there's Andre Chikatilo, who is known as the Butcher of Rostov. Um, so he confessed to 56 murders in Ukraine from 1978 to 1990. So he claimed that his mother would tell him stories about her brother who had been killed and cannibalized by their neighbors. Um, the story, that story was not verified, but it matches up with the time of the Great Ukrainian Famine in the 30s mm-hmm. oh, okay. in which other uh, cannibalism was documented. So another, uh, you know, it wasn't a grandma story, but it was a mother story. <laughs> like. Again, here's stuff that happened. Maybe, maybe self censor a little bit yeah. when you're telling you your kids tell story family stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he also had a lot of sexual issues and a lot of rage for not being able to perform. So he had had some he had a lot going on. Yeah, got a lot there. going on. Yeah. Um, and then Issei Sagawa is known as the Paris Cannibal. Mm. He was born in Japan. Um, and he says that he experienced cannibalistic urges as a, at a young age. He would look at his like classmates in elementary school and be like, I'd really like to eat their flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't been there? <laughs> he became, so he kind of became obsessed. He was like very small and sickly. So he kind of became obsessed with tall, healthy looking Western women. Um, oh, no. I don't know if healthy looking is like a dig at, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how much you weigh? I don't know. So he um, he coveted sort of the health and beauty. Um, so um, his first dabble into this was when he was 23. This was in Tokyo. He followed a tall German woman home and then broke into her apartment while she was sleeping with the intent to cannibalize her by slicing off part of her buttocks and sneaking away with it. Like, did he? On the fly? Like, <laughs> yes. I don't. Slashing it off? I don't know. I'm trying to picture this. Yeah. So, wake up the next morning. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, no, I don't know. I don't what know what happened to my 
butt, my buttocks. <laughs> I don't know what his, he clearly oh didn't think it through. Yeah. Um, because of course she woke up. <laughs> and since he was tiny and sickly, she like pushed him to, she's a big German woman. Yeah. You'd oh, mess with like her butt. When she's trying to sleep, I'm sure she was tired after doing a lot of work. And so she, and then he um, gets charged with attempted rape because they, he didn't, he didn't tell the cops that he was like, I was really just there to cut off her butt and eat it <laughs> and eat it. <laughs> um, so then he moves to Paris to go to school, and he makes friends with this um, classmate, and he invites her back to his apartment to help him translate some poetry. Don't like, who would help with that? No, don't that's help a huge red flag. No, <laughs> poetry is if someone wants to help you to help with poetry. No, yeah. they're not. No. They're not right. They're gonna eat you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he you. and he did. Oh. So he was caught and he was the um, in in France and he was declared insane and committed. And then um, he sort of like the media spectacle around it just became mm-hmm. too much. So they had him deported to Japan. And he was committed um, to a mental hospital. And then, um, but they examined him and they declared him sane and found sexual perversion was his sole motivation for murder. And because the charges in France had been dropped so they could um, deport him, uh, the French court documents were sealed and not released to Japanese authorities. So he couldn't legally be detained in Japan. And so he checked himself out of the hospital in August of 1986, and he's still free. So he's out there. Yeah, he's out there. And he sort of made a career for himself as a speaker and commentator. <laughs> so wait, wait, like, your, like your business seminar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please welcome motivational Please speaker welcome. and uh, convicted the cannibal. Paris cannibal. <laughs> so he also, so he wrote a book about his crimes, and then he wrote one about the Kobe child murders, and he wrote restaurant reviews no. for a magazine. No, absolutely not. That is yes, crazy. He did. The burger was delicious, but not as good as human flesh, <laughs> i got to be honest with you. Two Five stars. stars. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then we get to America's favorite cannibal, the Milwaukee cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm. So he killed and dismembered and cannibalized 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. And this is something I didn't know. I knew that he um, was beat to death in prison. Yes. But apparently what he liked to do to like taunt other inmates is he would fashion his food into like the shape of severed limbs and like decorate it with like ketchup as like the blood. And then so he kept doing that. And that's why this guy beat him to death. He was like, enough. And Stop turning your mashed potatoes Just into, into a, a foot. Severed limb. Like yeah. Justifiable homicide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Oh my um, God. Ew. So that so there's a lot of theories about um, why people do this. Um, so, but they're only theories and mostly based on what the convicted killers have told psychologists. So it's usually there's some kind of childhood trauma related to related to separation anxiety. Um, sort of the killing and eating ensures that they're never alone, that they'll always have a part of the victim with them. Um, Also like a sense of control over their life and they can um, sort of take control over another human being. There's usually schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely requires a lack of empathy and normal human emotions. 
So um, they sort of become addicted to the act of completing the fantasy. Of course, it's outside of the fantasy, and they be- become addicted to like the high they get for acting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's like a, the ritual of the hunt, like you're Oof. hunting a person. Um, so there's also a theory that's not scientifically proven, uh, but some killers have said that they experience this, that the consumption of human flesh can cause an increase in vitamin A and amino acids that cause a chemical effect on the brain and bring on sort of an altered state, like a sort of a high. Oh, my God. So what you're saying is it's a real amalgamation of a bunch of different yeah. fucked up Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is a technical term. term. I don't know if you've ever yes. heard of it, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> but also the, other, the other thing I read is that a lot of, that there might be more killers that do this, but it's sort of something that they keep really secret. And like mm. they might, they might be doing this at a younger age too, but it's something they sort of hide. Well, well, they do destroy the evidence. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my last thing is a fun fact. <laughs> um, that there's no actual laws against the consumption of human flesh. <sighs> so, so if I was to in front of all these people mm-hmm. grab a knife and just hack off Lop part off of your elbow, Julia. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no one. The cops they can't touch they me. No. Well, touch so, me. so what they end up getting you for is murder, like necrophilia or desecration of a corpse. Oh, okay. But so that's what that that one case with the guy who is like, oh yeah, I'm gonna yeah, let's do this. Let's have a meet cute where we. Eat each other. Eat each, yeah. So, but I, I do think that Cormac McCarthy might have been onto something with that scene in the road where the people are in the basement mm-hmm. and they're just cutting off pieces, so they're not technically murdering right. anyone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So Real yeah. World quandary. Yeah. <laughs> so there's yeah, and there's a there's a lot of serial killers that ate people. So. So, um, yeah. Great. Be I'm, on the lookout. Be on the lookout. <laughs> so this, the, the, on there's that. five to ten people out there right now. Wow. That we know of. Incredible. Well, we don't know of, but statistically. So watch your back. Or your butt. If you're a large German woman walking home from work. <laughs> yes. You got Keep an walk. eye on that butt. Yeah, that's right. Keep an eye on it. <laughs> Laura, take us home. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, Laura, um, take us home. So. Yes, uh, so in honor of our upcoming uh, Donner Party event, I chose to uh, focus on a couple stories where people actually tried really hard not to eat each other mm, rather great. than, you know, doing it for as like for fun pleasure. on mm-hmm. Saturday night. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is the colony of Jonestown. Jonestown. No. <laughs> that was a whole other podcast. That, that was the Kool-Aid, I think. <laughs> That's the Kool-Aid part. Um, it was, uh, the colony of Jamestown. So, um, this was back in sort of late 1606. This entrepreneurs, um, at the Virginia company got a charter from King James in England, um, to establish a settlement in, Uh, North America. So they were looking for, uh, their primary goals were to establish a settlement, find gold, and find a water route to the Pacific. (laughs) From Virginia. (laughs) Well, you know, they didn't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They're no GPS. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so they, they do get there. So three ships leave England in 1606 and they end up landing, um, near Chesapeake Bay, Virginia, they founded the colony on May 14th, which happens to be my birthday. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know it. Um, in 1607. So when they landed there, there was, of course, a Native American tribe there, the Powhatan. Um, and they were uh, alternately helpful and annoyed with the colonists basically mm-hmm. the entire time they were there. 
So there's like a, most of us are with white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was just waiting for one of you to say that. <laughs> they, they feature again in the yeah. story, don't worry. Um, so there was like a hundred-ish colonists that landed. And um, so they set up shop. They started building stuff. Um, and about two months later, two of the three ships, they're like, oh, cool. Everything's going fine. We're going to go back to England and give a very glowing report on the Virginia colony. But that was a little too optimistic because um, just a month or two after the ships left, there was a huge wave of dysentery and other illnesses that just wiped out a bunch of people. Um, And if you've never played Oregon Trail and you don't really know what dysentery is, um, my favorite description of it is from the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. It's an infection in your tummy where you get diarrhea forever and your body dries up and you die. (laughs) It's pretty clear. It's pretty true, yeah. Um, so eventually, uh, after getting that glowing report, the king's like, cool, I'm going to send some more people to this colony. So they send more people. They show up. They drop all these newbies off. And um, there was just all these problems. So there was problems with the colony leadership. There was some mysterious explosion and fire. Um, and then there were all these attacks by the Powhatans who are just getting sick of their, their crap. <laughs> <laughs> White men's crap. Uh, yes, yes. I think that goes without saying <laughs> Um, So this precipitated what they call the starving time in late 1609. This is where the cannibalism actually comes into the story. So the Powhatans are there over this whole thing. They're laying siege to their settlement, um, which was already crippled by just the ineptness of the colonists who didn't dig a well or prepare food stores or any things that might help you survive a winter. Um, So they're like trapped in their little fort, and there was about 300 people there at the time. So they, um, first they ate their like um, horses and their dogs and the rats and the other stuff that was around. Um, And it was thought for a long time that they did resort to cannibalism, but nobody really was sure um, until science. Oh boy. (laughs) So in 2012, um, an archaeology team unearthed a huge uh, cache of bones beneath the the fort where they were holed up for a while, which included skeletons of horses and all those things I mentioned, and humans. Oh, boy. And so... Busted. So, <laughs> science is the best. Forensic anthropology to the rescue here. Um, they found a mutilated skull and several bones of what they think is a teenage girl... Um, in the same pit with all those animals. So they did, like, sciencey mm-hmm. stuff on it, and they compared it to other um, bones and skulls that they had seen sort of in previous cultures where cannibalism was a thing. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, pictures online you can see of there's skulls and there's, like, hack marks, you know, Oof, in oh these boy. strategic places where you can tell they were trying to get in and get the brains out. Oh um, you know, they think the girl died first before okay. this happened, wow. but they, um, they, they went to the trouble of getting her skull and doing one of those really creepy clay reconstruction things. Oh, no. oh my God. And her name is Jane. Oh, oh. she was beautiful. She's lovely. Um, this, for everybody listening, you can just find this online, Jamestown Cannibal Jane, you'll find it. Um, we'll and they thought it, she was yeah. like a teenager, maybe wow. 16 or 17. Um, so here's a, you know, a case where cannibalism was, you know, they used it to survive, but... Um, Science helped us, you know, figure out that it wow. happened. Um, and, like, that's kind of where I just stopped reading about this colony. They, mm-hmm. Other things happened after yeah. that. Mm-hmm. They obviously 
you know, survived eventually, but um, I, I got bored after that, so I stopped. <laughs> no more cannibalism? <laughs> Sonora, I'm out. <laughs> well, I had other things to focus on. And yes, of so, course. Um, this, the other story I like to tell is one that I've been fascinated with since I was young, um, and it is the uh, Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, better known as the Milagro de los Andes. Miracle in the Andes, which oh. everybody knows is the alive story, if you've seen yeah. the movie. And if you haven't, why? <laughs> <laughs> I watched it um, two nights ago with my husband, and I'm just like, damn, this is bad. Like, I felt terrible. After, well, you'll feel oh. terrible after listening <laughs> yeah, to this. Yeah, oh, great. I'm excited. It's really great. Okay, so a group of Uruguayan rugby players um, from Stella Maris College, they chartered a flight, um, an Air Force flight, along with some of their friends and families. They were going um, from uh, Montevideo, Uruguay, trying to get to Santiago, Chile. And you know, those pesky Andes are like right... Mm. They're right, very right tall. The right yeah. in between them. Um, so they left with 45 people on board. And I think, as we all know, they did crash. Um, 28 people survived that initial crash um, with varying degrees of very severe, mm-hmm. horrible injuries. So the cause of the crash was pilot error. Um, the, right, this is another man oh, messing, they eat him messing first. stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was the co-pilot, actually. He was, like, being trained by the other apparently more experienced but still crappy pilot. Um, and he thought that they were really close to the airport, even though instrumentation was telling him otherwise. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, nah, man, I got this. <laughs> so... The plane, like, basically the back end hits the top of a mountain, shears off, that goes flying wherever. Um, the rest of the plane, the wings shear off, and it's, it's careening down this glacier, and it just embeds itself into this glacier. So, like, not only are the, the pilots all crushed up in the front, like all the seats of the plane come forward. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, so that's why only, whatever I said, 28 people survived that initial crash. So if you've ever seen the movie... Um, there's this really, I know it's horrifying, but I think it's hilarious scene where there's this old lady with her legs, like all crushed up under these seats and she's like screaming all night. Like I'm in pain and in my head, I'm like, Oh, shut up, please. (laughs) And then one of the guys yells at her, shut up, please. And then she dies the next day. So everybody felt bad. (laughs) 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 There's a lot of stars in that movie too, that I kind of forgot about. I mean, Ethan Hawke, obviously Josh Lucas is in that. Jack Noseworthy. Do you guys remember him? No. Oh, my God. He was in, like, this TV series um, in the 90s called Dead at 21. Ooh. Go IMDb. Yeah, it's crazy pants. All right. So they're all, they're crashed. Um, the authorities are looking for them for, like, eight days. They're flying over. You know, they do see planes going by from time to time, but, you know, nothing's happening. And eventually they had to call off the search. So um, the survivors were, like, fumbling around in the cockpit and they found a transistor radio which is not a two-way radio it's just a receiving so they heard this uh, news that they abandoned the search about 11 days in and that just did wonders for their morale yeah, I thought Oof. you were going to say they cranked in some tunes and really <laughs> up the place. Yeah. got a radio <laughs> yeah it was only bad news coming oh, from no, that radio no. yeah so they they had like some food you know gross stuff like tinned meat um, and they had they had some wine and some liquor, and they had some chocolate. So they survived on that for a while. 
which is what I did last night, basically. (laughs) 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 Um, But once that ran out, this is like, you know, more than a week in, they tried to eat parts of the plane, like the leather um, from the seeds and then the cotton from inside the seeds, which just made them all horribly sick um, and made it worse. So um, there's like, you know, thoughts among them and whispers like, oh, we might have to, we might have to, Mm -hmm. we might have to do it. Um, and I think what made it all worse and made them like starve even faster was they were so high up in the Andes that your body needs more calories Mm -hmm. just to survive at that altitude. So they were just like dying in earnest. They were just starving. So eventually one of the braver, you know, people actually says it out loud. Like, I think we need to partake of these dead people, um, because God would not want us to die like this. And Mm so they all struggled with it horribly um, because they're very religious and they a lot of them feared they would be damned you mm-hmm. know in the eyes of God if they did this but eventually um, everyone ended up partaking of some meat in some way so this is all happening and if that's not bad enough there's another there's like another disaster a huge avalanche hits the plane when the, in the night when they're all crammed up in there and um, it fills the whole plane with like packed snow so another eight people die and they can't get out they're like trapped in this plane so they have to eat the people that just died to survive until they can dig out they dig out like from the cockpit up to the top at least they were on ice good story (laughs) well yes it's a (laughs) it's a preservation preservation method Mm. yeah this is a really fun story so um We'll skip ahead a little bit. There's a lot of, you know, what do we do? What do we do? We have to, we have to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to save us. So um, some people, uh, you know, take some meat and they go on an expedition trying to figure out where the heck they are. They think they're in one place closer to Chile, but no, no, no. They're like 50 miles from that, way in the middle of the mountains. Um, so they find the tail. There's some, some, you know, chocolate and other stuff there that they're able to eat, but really nothing to help them. So they, a few more people die, and they're just, they're going nuts. They realize, you know, nobody's going to come for them, so they have to walk out of the mountains. So they take three people, um, and they start hiking. And it takes them, like, three days to hike up one peak, and then all they see is more mountains. Oh <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh my gosh. God, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah. So they send one guy back because they didn't have enough meat for an extended expedition. Mm-hmm. So two of the people keep going. Um, and they hike for 24 miles down through the Andes Mountains. And eventually, yeah, they start to see signs of life. And they come to this, I don't know if it's a stream or something they can't cross. I think mm-hmm. it's a, a river or whatever. And they see um, people on horseback across the other side. And they're screaming, ah, you know, and they can't hear each other because the water's too loud. So one of the smarty people on the horse gets like a rock and ties a paper around it and a pencil and chucks it over. And one of the people writes a note. Um, yeah, we crashed, we're dying, oh my God, help us. And so he throws it back. So those two are rescued that day. The horseback guy goes into town, wrangles all the troops, and eventually um, they get some helicopters and they go up to the the crash site and they rescue people in two waves. So everybody got off the mountain on December 23rd. Merry Christmas. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. But... So um, the rescue people knew 
about the cannibalism because they were there. They saw mm-hmm. the stripped up bodies. Um, but the survivors obviously weren't, you know, making a point of, of talking about that. But um, somebody from, you know, the press got a hold of a picture showing the bodies and the st- mm. <laughs> stripped out bodies. And they publicized it with a story about the cannibalism. Oh my and God. like cannibalism shamed these people. So the poor survivors had to go um, do a press conference. And they Oof. basically said, you know, what I've already said, but... Um, the one spokesperson was like making a direct comparison between Jesus at the Last Supper, you know, offering his body to sustain mm-hmm. others, mm-hmm. and that's how they were able to live with it. Yeah. The communion defense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I too read about this. Yes. It's very, it's very interesting. <laughs> that is stuff. interesting. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there was one guy in here that just couldn't handle it. He couldn't he couldn't keep anything down. He just couldn't like deal mm. with it. And he he actually died in the middle of the story because he he tried to and he could not eat uh, yeah. human flesh. Mm. So a lot the survivors went on to do good things and form foundations and stuff, but it's like it lives in everyone's memory yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Super uplifting. <laughs> and if you want more of this. Ooh, I do. Where can you go? <laughs> it's December thirteenth. <laughs> Setting you up for that. Get my readers out. Here. <laughs> you can go. Um, what, where did it's at the the ticket? Why, why, did, I, why did I take this? I don't even need to put my glasses. We really on. prepared okay. very well for this. Have your glasses on. Yes, I do. I do. They're down on the bottom of my nose. And if we have a minute after I tell you where you can learn more, I would like to just very quickly talk about transubstantiation and the communion okay. defense because it's fascinating. All right. So you can l- learn more on Friday, December thirteenth. Uh, New Yorkers for Better Libraries, which is a political action committee uh, working hard to get libraries funded Mm. uh, at the Blue Barn Cidery, which is 928 Manitou Road, Hilton, History Happy Hour with Maya Rook, Christmas with the Donner Party, and all proceeds do benefit New Yorkers for Better Libraries. Tickets available at NY4, the number four, bl.org. And we will be posting that as well yes. on our. Thank you, ladies. Of Absolutely, course, you. a Black Wonderful. Friday special. You know, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, what were you going to say about the trans? Well, if I, you know, as as Laura mentioned, uh, the public relations uh, when the uh, fellas returned to their hometown was not so great once the cannibalism came out. So they did use this communion defense. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pope Innocent the Third pronounced way back when, don't know when, long time ago, that the faithful would be required, these are the Catholics, to believe that the consecrated elements in the Eucharist, i.e. the bread and wine, were literally changed into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So his body and blood are truly contained in the sacrament of the altar under the forms of bread and wine, the bread and wine having been changed in substance, by God's power, into his body and blood. Uh, Years after they returned home and used the communion defense, uh, some of the Andes survivors admitted that relating their cannibalistic acts to the sacrament was actually more of a public relations (laughs) exercise than a religious experience. According to survivor Carlos Paez, quote, we were hungry, we were cold, and we needed to live. These were the most important factors in our decision. Right. 
So it just goes to show that all you Catholics are cannibals too. So <laughs> wow, no, definitely <laughs> to Pope Innocent the Third. I mean, I'm just saying. It's definitely not how we roll on the Protestants. <laughs> Everything is just a symbol. Yeah, like nothing's really real. Well, Pope Innocent wasn't so innocent, am I right? Hey, I'm gonna grab. You're gonna have a lot to answer for. You you're a making fun of Sicilians and b making I fun know, of the Catholics. Right? Oh my gosh, that's a huge swath of that. <laughs> <laughs> So we decided yes. for the quiz portion, we're going we're going so much lighter. So, so much we're lighter. doing the opposite of cannibalism. Exactly. We're doing this quiz on delicious food you want to eat. Yes. Ooh, yay. Something I know something about. Yeah. All right. Question one. Talk about a bad idea. In September 2019, which superstar from the Buckeye State was denied his application to trademark the phrase Taco Tuesday? Question two. In 2001, which restaurant chain became the first company to deliver a pizza to outer space when it paid the Russian space agency more than $1 million for the publicity stunt? I mean, privilege. Question three. I'm going to name four cheeses and you tell me if they're named by a protected designation of origin or if any old manufacturer of that style of cheese can call their product by that name. First, Gorgonzola. Second, Cheddar. Third, feta. And fourth, Asiago. Question four. Appropriately, a two-part question. Weird Al Yankovic's The White Stuff discusses, at length, his love for which sweet snack? And this song parodies a 1988 hit by which musical act? Question five. A test for all you Great British Bake Off fans. Tell me the name for the traditional Swedish layer cake consisting of alternating layers of sponge cake, jam, pastry cream, and a thick domed layer of whipped cream, all covered with a sheet of green marzipan. Question number six. Name this savory dish. It's a traditional Welsh snack of a sauce of melted cheese made with ale, mustard, and paprika served over toasted bread. No bunnies were harmed in the making of this tasty food. What is it? Question number seven. As a viral tweet once said about France, a fried ham sandwich is our national lunch. A fried ham sandwich with an egg is its wife. Name the real name of both of the sandwiches France is talking about. Question number eight. This Icelandic cultured dairy product has just recently hit the shelves at Wegmans, but has been enjoyed in Scandinavia since at least medieval times. It's often consumed like yogurt with added flavors such as vanilla or fruit. What is this yogurt-like food? Question number nine. The city of Buffalo, New York is known for many things. The Bills, Chicken Wings, and Beef on Weck, which is basically a roast beef sandwich on a Kummelweck roll, so known for its topping of salt and what kind of spicy seed. And finally, question number 10. What is the Italian name for a tiny donut similar to a beignet? Here's a hint. It has nothing to do with the Marx Brothers. We'll give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with your answers.
All right. All right. How you fe- how you guys feeling? Mm. No problem. Hungry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question one. Talk about a bad idea. In September 2019, which superstar from the Buckeye State was denied his application to trademark the phrase Taco Tuesday? I know the Buckeye State is Ohio. Okay. Right? <laughs> well done, Beth. Do you say it was a celebrity or like a superstar? A superstar. Superstar. A well, the only superstar yeah. from Ohio it's, is LeBron James. It's got to be LeBron, right? It's LeBron James. Oh, yeah. 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 So powers of deduction are staggering. <laughs> That's most of what trivia is, guys. <laughs> okay. So wisely, the patent office said that the phrase was, quote, a commonplace term, message, or expression widely used by a variety of sources that merely conveys an ordinary, familiar, well-recognized concept or sentiment. Mm-hmm. Apparently, LeBron um, would always post Taco Tuesday on, on Instagram. Yep. And then for some reason, he thought that he could, you know, claim the phrase. That? Yeah. <laughs> There no, was, no. Um, recently there was another, um, it was one of the Kardashians who tried to yes. trademark something. What, what was Kim it? Kim tried to stupid. trademark kimono, kimono yeah. for kimono. her shapewear line. And then all of the Japan Japanese was, went banana. yeah, all of Japan was like, no, nope. no, you cannot do that. I thought I didn't hear the kimono. I heard that it was another word. It was like a really common, I don't remember. I'll have to look it up. I agree with Japan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Misinformation and, and, and their, guests. their guests agree with Japan. <laughs> yeah. All right, question two. In 2001, which restaurant chain became the first company to deliver a pizza to outer space when it paid the Russian space agency more than $1 million for the publicity stunt? I mean, privilege. Domino's. Y'all, the answer is Pizza Hut. What? <laughs> My second choice. You know what? The Russians love Pizza Hut for some reason. Um, so taking much longer than the usual 30 minutes for delivery, the pizza rode aboard a Russian rocket used to resupply the International Space Station. It was a six-inch salami pizza salami. that was eaten by cosmonaut Yuri Yusachov. Okay, so because spending a long time in space has the effect of deadening the taste buds, extra salt and spices were added to the pizza, and salami had to be used instead of pepperoni because it has a longer shelf life. Wow. Was this a pan pizza? Uh, yeah, like a okay, personal, like, like a thick yeah, crust pan yeah. pizza. Okay, yeah, like a personal pan pizza. <laughs> I so. do like personal pan pizza. They're delicious. <laughs> do you know that they serve them at Tinseltown? Oh yeah. Yes, I saw that Pizza Hut personal pan. Pizza. Yeah. Did you know that they serve them at the museum as well? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> well. We're learning all sorts of things about our local institutions today. I guess speaking of pizza, I'm going to name four cheeses and you tell me if they're named by a protected designation of origin or if any old manufacturer of that style of cheese can call their product by that name. All right. First, Gorgonzola. I think that one's protected. I have no opinion. Wegmans makes Gorgonzola cheese. I mean, you can buy Wegmans Gorgonzola cheese. You can buy Wegmans Gorgonzola cheese. <laughs> yeah, but did they get permission to do that because they imported it from a specific region? Perhaps. Mm. So what's your answer? Go, Beth. Yeah, I'm going to say it's protected. Gorgonzola is protected. Yes. It's um, a veined Italian blue cheese made from unskimmed cow's milk. It must be produced in Gorgonzola, Milan, okay. Italy. Mm-hmm. All right, next, cheddar. No. 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 Nope. (laughs) Though in 2007, West Country Farmhouse Cheddar was created and only cheddar produced from local milk in Somerset, Dorset, Devon, and Cornwall and manufactured using traditional methods can use that exact name. But otherwise, cheddar, you can call whatever you want cheddar. Nice. And I do. Yeah. (laughs) That's 
sexy orangish, right? Yeah. <laughs> Done. Shut up. All right. Next, feta. I'm saying, I'm going to say no. It's not protected. I'm going to say yes, just to be contrary. Okay. Feta is protected. No. Since it's 2002, only those cheeses produced in the traditional way, in particular areas of Greece, made from sheep's milk or a mixture of sheep's and up to 30% goat's milk from the same mm. area can be called feta. And then finally, Asiago. <laughs> I'm going to go protected. Me too. I'm going to be contrary and say no. Okay. Asiago, yes, it is protected. The only authentic Asiago is produced around the Alpine area of the Asiago Plateau in regions of Veneto and Trentino alla DJ in Italy. <laughs> yeah, close enough. <laughs> All right, question four. Appropriately, a two-part question. Weird Al Yankovic's The White Stuff discusses at length his love for which sweet snack. And this song parodies a 1988 hit by which musical act? It's got to be sugar. Right? But you don't just eat sugar. I mean, no, you, you, you can. You <laughs> I don't recommend I mean, no one's it. stopping you. The white stuff. What was the second part? What, what song? What, what did he parody? Okay. Popcorn's white. True. So is like fluff. Fluff is good. That's a good snack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like I fluff. No but I don't have a song tie-in for that. No, I got nothing. I well, the song that ran in my head was the "Looking for Some Hot Stuff, Baby This Evening." <laughs> that's a that's, that's a, a that's good a good guess. guess. <laughs> but no, but you're wrong. We're gonna say fluff and whatever is it the Pointer Sisters. That's what I'm going. To say. Can you sing the song with me? I don't think I can. I don't know if I know the song. All right, can the chorus of, the chorus of Weird Al's version goes, "Oh oh 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 Rio." What's oh. in the middle? The white stuff. Okay. So it's Oreo cookies and new and kids new on kids the block. The right stuff. I should have known that. <laughs> okay. And question five. A test for all you Great British Bake Off fans. Tell me the name for the traditional Swedish layer cake consisting of alternating layers of sponge cake, jam, pastry cream, and a thick domed layer of whipped cream, all covered with a sheet of green marzipan. I know nothing about baking. I thought I did, but I don't know this one. Don't know. John made it for us I that know, one time. I know, I, I, but I can't remember You've what it's called. It. I've eaten it. Um, it's called a princess cake. Oh. Um, it was initially called Grand Tarta for green cake in the mid-20th century, but then given the name Princess Tarta or Princess Cake because the Swedish princesses were said to have been especially fond of it. I mean, it sounds delicious. I'd eat it. I mean, I you've had it, right? I've had so. it. It was good. All right, question number six. Name this savory dish. It's a traditional Welsh snack of a sauce of melted cheese made with ale, mustard, and paprika served over toasted bread. No bunnies were harmed in the making of this tasty food. What is it? Welsh rare, rarebit. Rarebit. Yeah. Welsh rarebit, yes. I'm trying to say it at the same time. <laughs> like, it's okay. I knew you were going to throw the Welsh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what threw me up. I was just going with rarebit. Um, the word rarebit is a corruption of rabbit. Welsh rabbit being first recorded in 1725 and the variant Welsh rarebit being first recorded in 1785. Um, there is a notion in the UK that no Welsh person can resist toasted cheese. It's like a thing. 
Like they're like, we've been able to trap scores of Welsh <laughs> with our toasted cheese. You know, it's very weird. It's like a, I guess it's like a stereotype that a Welsh like offering an Irishman a beer. Exactly. Like the Welsh, if you or if you give them some warm cheese, they're like, hey, thank you very much. <laughs> But with a lot of W's and Y's. Oh yeah, in with there. a lot of yeah. Y's and D's. Yeah, you wouldn't understand what. They <laughs> no, said. absolutely not. But they'd follow you. Yes, they would. They would follow you anywhere. Um, okay, question number seven. As a viral tweet once said about France, a fried ham sandwich is our national lunch. A fried ham sandwich with an egg is its wife. Name the real name of both of the sandwiches France is talking about. One's a Monte Cristo, right? I think it's uh, Croque Madame and Croque Monsieur. You are correct. Nice. Uh, croque Monsieur and Croque Madame. Uh, the name means Mr. and Mrs. Crunch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that not the cutest thing you've ever heard? But what about the captain? How is he related? Yeah, I don't know. What's captain in French? Capitaine. Uh, <laughs> so it's just Capitaine, a croque Capitaine. Yeah. Uh, so the sandwich's first recorded appearance on a Paris cafe menu was in 1910. Mm. So what is a Monte Cristo? It's, it has some Ooh, kind of hands. So that's yeah. like... What they do is it's a it's a sandwich. It has ham and cheese and jelly, jelly. and then they dunk it in like a like, batter. Like a French toast. Oh, yeah, like a French and then toast they fry it up. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. What does that have to do with the Count of Monte Cristo? Anything? Great question. I feel like probably like uh, like TGI Fridays invented that sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Monte Cristo is doesn't have anything to do with France, I believe. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I only know about Mr. and Mrs. Crunch <laughs> at this okay. point. All right. Uh, question number eight. This Icelandic cultured dairy product has just recently hit the shelves at Wegmans, but has been enjoyed in Scandinavia since at least medieval times. It's often consumed like yogurt with added flavors such as vanilla or fruit. What is this yogurt-like food? I know this. I do. I know is it. it th- it's not the kefir, is yeah. it? Is it? It's kefir. No, no, Kef- no, 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 no. There's another name for it, isn't there? You're not even on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Get on the mic. That's on purpose. <laughs> I'm going with kefir or kefir. Okay. That, no, I, that's and I the only yogurt-like right. substance yeah. I know about. Um, you are very close. It's skier. Skier. See, I said it was skier. an S. I didn't know anything <laughs> other than that. Kefir is like the Middle Eastern Yeah, kefir is the Middle Eastern version of okay. that. It's the, it's also a yogurt product, cool. so you weren't that far off. Cool, cool. And Wegmans has its own brand, I believe. Yes, mm. it does have its own brand of, of skier. skier. I know mm-hmm. they have kefir. Yeah. Well, Wegmans will take anything. I know. Um, skier has a slightly sour dairy flavor with a hint of residual mm. sweetness. It is traditionally served cold with milk and a topping of sugar. It sounds delicious, actually. Mm. All right. I'm sure you guys will get this one. Uh, question number nine. The city of Buffalo, New York, my hometown, is known for many things. The Bills, chicken wings, not buffalo wings, chicken wings, because that's where it is. And <laughs> beef on weck, which is basically a roast beef sandwich on a weck roll. So known for its topping of salt and what kind of spicy seed? Caraway. caraway. Yes, it is caraway seeds. <laughs> caraway is uh, a member of the carrot family and is also known as Meridian fennel or Persian cumin, just as an FYI. Ooh. Yeah, is that interesting? <laughs> Seems like I'm going to start like call it, calling it that. Yeah, yeah. do it. Do you have any Persian cumin? <laughs> yeah, so people will be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, question number 10. Finally, question number 10. What is the Italian name for a tiny donut similar to a beignet? Here's a hint. It has nothing to do with the Marx Brothers. I don't know anything about the Marx Brothers. <laughs> so I don't, that hint doesn't work for me. No? I got nothing. Okay. I should know this, but I don't. It's all right. It's a, a Zeppole. 
So Zeppo, Zeppo was ah, one of the bro- Marx wow. Brothers. That was my... Okay. Um, it is usually topped with powdered sugar and may be filled with custard, jelly, cannoli-style pastry cream, or a butter and honey mixture, which sounds Ooh. delicious. Wow. The consistency ranges from light and puffy to bread or pasta-like, which sounds disgusting. It is eaten <laughs> to celebrate St. Joseph's Day, which is a Catholic feast day, and they're also known as Sfinge o Fritelle. There is a restaurant in Pittsburgh that we would go to sometimes for brunch and they were known for like their Zeppoli and uh, they had some um, ones that Josh liked that were sriracha glazed oh, no. Zeppoli. Oh, so it was like you got like a honey sriracha Zeppoli and like where are you going to get that? Only in Pittsburgh. Only in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you dip it in blue cheese. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, Yum. thank you. I do not want to. I don't want to savor Zeppole. That's terrible. Uh, Zeppole is the, um, is the plural. Zeppola is the individual. So you can be like, I don't want three Zeppole. I want just just one Zeppola. Uno Zeppola. Uno Zeppola. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there really you go, little Italian for you. Gra- Groucho, which was really <laughs> all that I had. The Italian Grouchos. <laughs> I knew it wasn't right, but it was oh all good. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much for joining Cassie, us. Cassie, Beth, and Laura. What a treat. What a treat. <laughs> for the senses. <laughs> for all the senses. <laughs> I mean, I felt so many things. I felt horror. I felt shame. I felt uh, laughter and disgust. Yeah, it was great. Um, so how about you guys plug your thing? one more time for the people in the back uh, tell us about your event our event is Christmas with the Donner Party a history happy hour with historian Maya Rook who is terrific she's actually uh, been to Donner Lake oh wow okay and walked portions of the trail that the Donner Party which was the worst party ever mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean let's just Not be a fun party let's just be clear yeah But, you know, in the spirit of the holidays, uh, we're going to explore the Donner Party's journey westward and winter entrapment in the mountains with a special focus on how they spent the Christmas of 1846 Mm. and what they ate for dinner. Tickets are $30 (laughs) per person, available at ny4bl.org. And the event is Friday, December 13th from 6 to 8 p.m., the back bar at Blue Barn Cidery in Hilton, New York. And after the event, the tasting room is still open. Oh, so wow. you can hang out and talk about all that you learned about the Donner Party and their Christmas tradition. Great. Yeah. yeah. We'll all be there. We'll be there. Yeah. Come see misinformation if, if nothing else. If you don't want to learn about the Donner Party, you can hang out with us. Um, we'll bring barf bags. <laughs> Um, so, uh, thanks to our guests and thanks so much for listening guys. Yeah. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.